Today I'm interviewing Max Gotzler, who we met together at the Quantified Self conference in Europe some years ago. He was still not yet then uh, producing what he calls Flowgrade today, which is offering amazing coffee and there's great biohacking products coming out. And uh, he's also running the Flowgrade uh, or uh, podcast. He's a host on that one and he's been interviewing many biohackers out there. And one thing that Flowgrade focuses on is the flow state and how to achieve that through nutrition and, and different methods, interventions that you can apply to your life every day. So thank you so much, Max, for joining me for this podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Demo. Finally, I'm on your podcast ever because you've already been on my podcast a while ago. And that was a super interesting uh, discussion between us uh, where we went into transhumanism and uh, it's still being discussed in our community. I really like that. Absolutely. So what uh, was what is the background behind Flowgrade? So what got you started and where do you come from? So I come from pretty much, I'd say, competitive sports. So this is my background. I grew up playing basketball. You know, I ended up that I grew to be two meters tall and uh, 105 kilos uh, heavy. And so I had the predisposition to be a good basketball player. And then also uh, from my family background, my mom was a basketball player. So I got in there early and uh, I quickly was then picked up as a, as a teenager by FC Bayern Munich, you know, the famous soccer mm. club. Uh, and they also have a basketball division. They're actually pretty good in basketball as well now. And uh, so they, they acquired me as a, as a teenager. And later on, then when I graduated from high school, I got a scholarship to play in the States and I played over there for four years. And this is where I really was thrown into a very competitive environment you know, uh, collegiate NCAA sports uh, are on, I'd, I'd say, the highest level. It's pretty much a professional level. And that's where I was confronted with extreme performance enhancement for the first time. So not, nothing illegal. Now, that sounded a little illegal. But, you know, as far as you can go without uh, crossing the line and people really, you know, we had a staff of four fitness trainers and physical trainers. And back then CrossFit didn't really exist, but we were already doing functional fitness, like CrossFit based fitness and, you know, experimenting with nutrition and uh, supplementation. And people were taking a lot of creatine and proteins and, and different BCAAs. Mm. Uh, so, and, and so on, uh, just to finish that up, but uh, through that, I, I became interested in all of these, blogs, you know, that dealt with performance enhancement and, and self-optimization. And, and slowly I got into that, that scene, which we call biohacking today. And that was, I think, you know, back then Tim Ferriss and Ben Greenfield, and then later Dave Asprey and uh, Mark Sisson. And these guys that were already writing about nutrition and there was nothing happening in Germany at that time. So in the States, I got uh, a lot of input, a lot of ideas from there. And when I came back to Germany, there was nothing there. And that's where I found this void that, that I could fill. And uh, the first, well, station that I ended up in was the quantified self scene. So in Berlin, there was a small group that was being formed. And I quickly got in there and I became an, an organizer myself there. 
And then I went to the first European Quantified Self Conference in Amsterdam. That's where I met you. And uh, at that point, I was just playing around with some ideas. I was still working for a startup in Berlin. Uh, my basketball career pretty much had ended uh, due to some, well, other interests in, in, in life, I'd say, because I was still capable to play on, on a professional level. But then I decided to go in a different direction. And uh, at that Quantified Self Conference, I really be came up with my first idea, which was BioTracker. So BioTracker was a platform that allowed people to track their blood work. And uh, it was inspired by Wellness FX and Inside Tracker, which were already operating in the, in the US. And uh, I got some feedback from you, actually, and you really liked the idea, and I went with it, and it worked quite well. We got quite some media attention in Germany and uh, some clients, and it was still a hard business because uh, the business model and with you know insurance did, did, did not pay for our services, so we sold blood tests online to people, and it ended up like due to regulations and to fees that we had to charge 45 euros for a simple vitamin D test, which is just way too much. You know, there's so many blood markers and ideally you test all of them and people just don't have thousands of euros to, so to how, test themselves. So how much is a vitamin D test in a typical German just public hospital or can you even get one? Well, it's around 25 euros, if I remember correctly. Uh, just, you know, the, the service, which is covered by the insurance and then you pay a premium for the person that draws your blood or does the service. So I think you end up paying like 35 euros, which is the, the minimum amount that you, you have to pay. So we, have to, we had to sort of buy these tests for that amount and then we could sell them and we, we calculated our service, which was visualizing the results and giving some recommendations uh, in, in, these, uh, in this margin that we charged. But still, uh, first of all, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of uh, costs per, per, per customer uh, to acquire them. And then uh, we needed to follow up and to make sure that they were happy with the service and so on. So the business model like that did, did not work. And uh, I didn't really feel uh, like you know, collecting, investing money and then really blowing this thing up. Uh, it was a tech idea in, in the end. But I started at the same time then uh, with a shop that offered products to the same target group. So our target groups were pretty much self-optimizers and self-healers. So the, ones, uh, the one group was interested more in, in improving. They were already healthy and they just wanted to get to the next level. And the other group were people that had some sort of problem, for example, an autoimmune issue or some chronic pain or disease and they wanted to fix themselves. They weren't happy with their doctoral, their medicinal care. And uh, so I offered them some products and it ended up that there were some products out there that I really wanted to have in Germany, but they didn't exist. And these were the Bulletproof products. So Dave Asprey hmm. and his uh, buttered coffee idea, uh, they weren't yet present in, in Germany. And I met Dave at the Quantified Self Conference in San Francisco. And that's where I started playing with the idea. And he was actually telling me, and that's a quote, he was saying, Max, maybe one day you're going to be a coffee seller, a coffee distributor. And then it 
ended up being a prophecy. <laughs> so you became a, so you became a reseller for Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee, and later on, now you have basically made available your own products as well. Yeah. So we started with Bulletproof. Uh, and we quickly noticed that it was fairly expensive to import them, first of all. And there were some issues with importing animal products from the States. You know, we couldn't import collagen and and some other things. And so it, I, I figured if I really wanted to have a complete portfolio of, of great biohacking products, I needed to source them in Germany. And that's where I started to think already about my an, an own brand to complement these products. And uh, at that point, I was researching the name and I was really uh, playing around with up, you know, and further and unleashing potential and going the next level to the next level and so on. And uh, at some point, I became so sick and tired of upgrading and optimizing and, you know, getting better and better than what and optimizing where to and uh, that I said, you know what, we need to get away from this whole upgrading thing. And we need to sort of take a step back and think about really what what we want. And, and uh, at th that point, I just heard uh, for the first time about Stephen Kotler, the author of The Rise of Superman. And I thought, you know, he's, he's right. He's focusing on flow because, you know, life, what makes life worth living is the amount of flow moments that you get where you forget yourself or you're in the moment where you're as present as possible. And you just, uh, you, you are just mm. like that. And uh, then I said, you know, instead of upgrading, we should flow grade people. And then I heard myself say that a couple of times and said, hey, this is actually pretty cool. Flow grading someone, flow grade, flow grade, flow grade. And that's how the name came to be. Right. Yeah. So let's pick up the name flow now and uh, dive deeper into it. So uh, the originating, I think one of the guys who have popularized this from positive psychology is Mihail and Mihail uh, on the discussing about flow and he defines with Jean Nakamura that it's sort of like this intense and focused concentration on the present moment where action and awareness merge. There is loss of self in a way or at least a reflective part on consciousness. There is a sense of personal control on over the situation or activity. There is sometimes distortion of time and temporal experience. And uh, it's, it's also um, it's intrinsically rewarding, what they call autotelic experience. And the way how he, I think, beautifully, one quote from him is that it's completely focused motivation. So you're fully immersed in, in the moment. All of us have had this kind of... Uh, almost drug-like experiences where we just don't want to stop doing whatever we are doing. You reach that state and everything flows. It's sort of on the boundary of your skills, but it's not too difficult. It doesn't make you mad or sad about it. But at the same time, it's not too easy that it doesn't feel routine and you don't fall asleep. And often when people have these kind of experiences is when they are learning something new, which is building incrementally a little bit on, on their existing experience. And as a biohacker, what I like about the flow state is the sense of immediate feedback that you sort of get into this feedback loop. So you are uh, in the moment, you 
you are receiving constant rewarding experiences that tell you that, hey, this is cool stuff, you, you should continue. Uh, there is this sort of innate feel, potential to succeed, and uh, all the needs that you have, those become negligible. And uh, so so it's it's all about being fully immersed in the experience. So I really like the flow grade or flow state kind of term and or the flow experience, what Kendra Cherry calls it. Um, so, I mean, you've been looking deeper into, into the flow, flow state. Uh, what can you add uh, on, on what I just said? So, you know, you were speaking of a drug-like experience, and that you could probably even call it a, a drug experience, because what's happening is that when, when you get into that state, and you pretty much described it already, you know, perfectly, that it's an optimal state of consciousness where you're more powerful than in your usual self. So there are actually three things that uh, Stephen Kotler and the, you talked about Csikszentmihalyi and then, you know, um, Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel now founded the Flow Genome Project, which is the biggest crowdsourcing project to study uh, and decode the, the Flow Genome, the really how it works. And they use a lot of extreme athletes. They work with Red Bull and some big companies. And uh, they focus on three things that are happening. One, you know, that you mentioned is time. So time becomes irrelevant and uh, physical and mental performance skyrocket. And then your ego vanishes. And these three things are based on changes in your physical self. So it's not just something, you know, that, that's happening that we can't see, but we can actually now when we look inside uh, a human body and who's in flow, then you notice that there are uh, changes in neuroanatomy, neurochemistry, and neuroelectricity. And these explain this experience of, you know, losing yourself in the moment and uh, getting rid of your ego and your performance. And so the first thing, and I think the most yeah, let's 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 dive, critical. dive into these three areas. So let's let's start from neuroanatomy. Yeah, so there is one term which describes what's happening in, in your anatomy, which is transient hypofrontality. So transient meaning temporarily, hypo, just a little, and frontality is your prefrontal cortex area. So this is just not active when you're in flow. And this is pretty much where your whole moral standards, your ego, your self-conscience, uh, is stored, is, is placed, and this is being shut off in flow. So you don't think about how another person would see you. You don't think about your moral standards. So you can just let go and be present, be in your moment. So this is very elementary when you... When you so, so the higher states uh, or higher functions that have true evolution develop the, the prefrontal cortex that is responsible more of the analytical side of things so, so so are you saying that that part sort of becomes um uh, under tuned or less active in a flow state exactly so you, you become more your primal self you know when you're standing in front of a tiger you can't really think about how you look like uh you have to either run or fight so you have that fight or flight response or you have to you have to be really present and uh at, at the same time just 
process a lot of information. And this is also what Flow really does. It helps you with pattern recognition and process a lot of information because our subconscious is much more powerful in processing information than, your, uh, than our conscience. So by shutting it off, we actually just process everything subconsciously and we, we just react. So there's, like you said, immediate feedback. Uh, immediate feedback loops are a great trigger for flow because they let you react. So you, you, you get a stimulus and you, you just react to it without thinking about it. So you, you, you subconsciously make already a decision that's in your best interest. And that is much better and much quicker than when you have to think about and evaluate like what our conscience, where our prefrontal area does. I did look into some of the research on experts versus amateurs. Um, I was giving a presentation last week in Estonia to executives, and they had just played a round of golf, which I, by the way, participated in. I haven't been playing golf for over 10 years. So what I did, I just landed some golf clubs and shoes, and I went cold turkey into the competition. So what happened next was, uh, I mean, it's it's still somewhere. It's sort of like they say that once you learn to drive a bicycle, you can't really uh, forget how that goes. So I, I, in the beginning, there was a little bit of uh, uncertainness uh, and sort of getting used to it again, but it, it started flowing. And in the end, um, I did actually play to my handicap uh, close to it and I also ended up winning something, so I, I won a case of beer. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't even drink beer, so when you I came, drink it. I, was, I just was about to ask. So what I did, I went uh, when I came back. I was just thinking, like, what do I do with this case of beer? I guess no Finn goes to Estonia without bringing back cheap beer. And on the way back, I picked up a Uber car, and when I got to my destination, I was picking up the case of beer from the back. And I said to the driver, you know what? You are getting this thing. Uh, I, I have no use for it. I just got it. I want it. I don't need it. Maybe you have better use for it. First, he tried to sort of um, uh, say that I'm not <laughs> taking it. But, but, but uh, in the end, he took it. And he this, the impression on his face completely changed. He uh, got so happy. And he said that he has a wedding next week. So it came just in time. So there is somewhere an Edward who is now a happy owner of uh, beer. Maybe his wedding is today or tomorrow. I and, don't know. and do you attribute that to you being in flow on the golf course? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, because you won the thing because of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I gave a presentation to these executives on, on golf and I did do a little bit of research on what makes expert golf players better than amateurs. And what happens when we examine the brain activity of experts is that um, uh, in a, uh, when it's recorded pre-shot, uh, so the EEG, the electric activity in the brain, what happens that the experts exhibit greater alpha power or left temporal electrodes than novices, meaning that there is more activity on the right prefrontal side and, and, and um, uh, inhibition on the... Uh, left temporal side. And uh, what this means is that the left temporal cortex is typically associated with verbal analytical language functions, while the right temporal cortex is associated with visual, spatial, and integrative processing. So what happens here is that the verbal analytical, the self-reflective, the sort of like you explaining, you 
chatting to yourself, how, you know, how my leg is, how my club is, you know, where, where the ball is, uh, where I'm shooting. But the more you analyze, actually, that situation, there is an inhibition going on uh, with the visual-spatial side. So actually, you are inhibiting your ability to be fully present in the physical movement when you do that. And what experts are really good at is to shut down that self-chatter and mm-hmm. focus on the movement, trust their training. And this is ex- exactly the, the flow state, basically. In a flow state, you just you know have this extreme concentration and you trust the skills that you're building on. And uh, so better performance in terms of golfers, also shooters and archers, uh, was associated with increase in upper alpha power um, and uh, uh, inhibition of, of some of the prefrontal cortex areas. So it's not completely shutting down parts of it, seems to be shutting down the, the sort of self-reflective parts. And I found that really interesting. So That's super interesting, especially because... Uh, you know, that that's exactly what also the Flow Genome Project now came up with is that usually you're in this fast beta wave and then when you get into that flow state, then you're pushed towards alpha in between alpha and theta and you get these gamma spikes uh, yeah. once in a while, which are associated with this horeca moment, this aha, uh-huh, wow moment. And it always makes me, when I, when I read that, think about uh, one anecdote from this book uh, by this chess champion, uh, Josh Waitzkin, uh, The Art of Learning, where he says he's sitting in front and he was this uh, genius prodigy chess player and he's sitting in front of his board and he already subconsciously knew that he won or that he was the, the next move, but he, that he felt already elated and had this, aha, wow, but his conscience hasn't had... Uh, time yet to receive the information from his subconscious so he didn't know he was and he was waiting for the information to be transmitted i think that that's what i'm adding now this is my narrative right but this is yeah. what i read into it let's let's uh, let's go back a little bit because maybe some listeners don't know anything about these different brain waves so i give a quick sort of a run through of this so uh, when you record the electric activity of the brain you can record it on different areas but in a general terms, when we talk about uh, uh, the, the higher functions, uh, when you are awake, that's a very fast kind of wave. And the, the fastest one is called the gamma wave, which is heightened perception is associated with it. Then beta, beta uh, brain waves are a little bit like longer waves, which are associated with wakefulness. And then when the wave gets a little bit uh, longer still, then you get into the alpha, uh, and that's where relaxation, meditation. In meditation, you see increase of alpha, and uh, a deep meditation is where theta brain waves, even slower waves, and and also dreaming uh, happens in in high theta, and very deep sleep when your sort of system is almost completely shut down. That's when you have so-called delta waves, which are the slowest moving uh, waves. So so you can measure these things on the scalp with electrodes and we still sort of like uh, it's sort of like tinkering with a black box by just looking at um we, we are looking at blood flow we are looking at electric activity we, we don't really see directly what's going on but this is how we we came up with this map and been able to associate different experiences of of uh, meditation and uh, focused attention and so on 
How does, by the way, uh, now that I'm thinking of that, but how do golf players then measure this prefrontal activity with EEGs, I assume? Yeah, uh, so, so let's go back into that. Um, the problem with measuring EEG is that it's very sensitive to head movement. And uh, it's sort of a cool idea to have some kind of EEG device always following your concentration or flow state. But the problem comes from using your facial muscles and head movement that is adding a lot of uh, uh, noise signal into into it and, and it's very very hard to pick up a clean signal so the way how they have tested this is in the shots uh, where your head is not moving at all which is like putting so instead of doing like the the the, the big swing it's basically only just making this putting movement and uh, that's where your head is not moving a lot so they can measure it from there uh, the, it is also how they've done it for archers and shooters so actually those sports are quite good for measuring it much better than football or or something else where you are you are basically moving your whole body and uh, so you need to be quite stationary for getting a good reading mm. wow yeah it's you know, my vision already for a while has been to develop this flow device, uh, a, a flow band. And just imagine, I'm just putting it out there because if anyone here listens to that and, and has a similar idea, they sh I think reach out. Uh, you know, you're, let's say you watch a soccer game or a sports game. And then on the on the big screen, on the jumbotron, I don't know, you can follow who is the flow of the players and also like the coaches. For example, they have these flow headbands. And then coaches can say, ah, you know, I don't know, LeBron is in, in flow right now. Give him the ball a little more often. He can shoot. He's, he's doing well. And so mm. I think that would be just a fantastic device and it would be entertaining and it could be really helpful to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cha challenge with that is if you read the electric signals from the brain, it's, it's, it's going to have a lot of noise in it. So probably you need some kind of implant um, that gets away from the, the muscle muscles on the on the face and neck that give a lot of interference now there is these headbands like muse and uh, there's neuroscribe i've tested some of these things and those are mainly designed for meditation practice and uh, provide this kind of neurofeedback and uh, there is a lot of studies on meditation and how that changes the brain so actually when you practice meditation you are already changing your brain in very fundamental ways, depending on which type of meditation you practice, which part of the brain are more active in that type of meditation. So, for example, if you concentrate on your breathing uh, and, and just breathing and, and, and focusing on that, you become much better in, uh, in, uh, in spatial sensory kind of uh, things. So if you focus on on how you feel yourself against the ground uh, or the air breeze coming on your face, all these things. So you become better at that. Now, there is also Tibetan Buddhist style where your focus is in uh, all loving kindness. And that has great effects on, uh, on I, th I think it's on the, on, on the uh, amygdala uh, and, uh, mm. uh, and, uh, uh, basically the reward centers and um, people who practice that type of meditation they are less prone to stress uh, so, so so that part of the brain area that is so there is more active for uh, more easier for them to activate the kind of 
uh, appreciation and happiness and see patterns of positive things instead of negative. So actually you become good at what you practice and you can, I believe you can practice a flow state for sure um, by uh, not let's say football not really focusing on practicing the flow state in football but practicing the flow state in meditation and then when you are playing football you can actually do it better and i want to tell you a little bit little story here i met this the, actually this guy who invited me to speak in estonia who's running mm-hmm. the golf course he's running uh to become a referee in 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 this i don't know enough football to say what it is, but on a very high level, he wants to be a, an official referee of, of big matches. And uh, the problem is that when he's um, practicing his referee job outside of the actual competition of getting to be the referee in those games, his uh, performance is stellar. But when he gets into these competitive, uh, competitive um, situations, his performance deteriorates and he sees that he's making a lot more mistakes. He's more uh, prone to, um, to blowing in the whistle uh, too easily, for example. And mm-hmm. that, that, that basically led him to, to meditation because when he completely failed all these competitive uh, situations, he went back to really sort of understand what's going on here. Why is he too analytical? Why he's thinking too much when he gets stressed? And uh, makes all these mistakes and not, doesn't trust his instincts. So, so he started meditation. He's been doing it every day for um, uh, a long time now, and and he's he's going to have his test coming up again. And uh, I, I think the guy is going to make it. Uh, so, so he really got something out of meditation by by practicing that for improving his game in uh, in football. Yeah, I definitely think that meditation is a fantastic way uh, to to practice it. I almost look at it as a hygiene habit where like brushing your teeth, you know, it's something that if you do it every day, it's sort of like taking the trash out, uh, your mental trash. And, uh, I, and especially nowadays, and we created this world for ourselves, which is just full of stimuli and which is a little overbearing, over. Uh, yeah challenging us in ways that we haven't uh, you know experienced in our primal uh, lives many many years ago so the challenge nowadays and there are two ways and sometimes i look at it as you know meditation and these asian practices and buddhism and so on they are to shutting like these things off and focusing on yourself and your breathing because your breathing is pretty much your most primal self and then when you breathe you're the most present because you need to breathe all the time and so the other side though of the coin is to increase our physical and mental capabilities to deal with this new world that we've created you know full of technology so and that is pretty much i think whereas biohacking encompasses the two of them but i'd say self-upgrading is the one side and then the other thing, which I call flow grading, but other people might call it downgrading or, or just meditating, uh, doing yoga, which is to control the mind, shutting off all these stimuli that, that influence you and the, this white noise, and then become yourself again. So I think in, somewhere in between is the truth. Let's get into some practical advice on how people can more easily trigger what you call the flow state. So, so what can I basically do if I want to 
be more in the flow state. So, so is there any any kind of techniques for that? For sure, uh, and you know, everyone is is, is different. And, and I'd say the first thing you should really try to figure out is which flow triggers work for you. So, which flow type are you? And uh, there, well, there are four types. I think this is always oversimplified, but there are four types that people tend to. Uh, which are the hard chargers. So these are the extreme athletes, the wingsuit jumpers, the base jumpers, the you know snowboard extreme snowboarders or surfers that look for extreme physical risk in order to trigger flow. So they even get addicted to that that risk because they uh, yeah have this high when when they're threatened and uh, they get, go further and further into more and more extremes. And that's also one reason why these hard chargers these extreme athletes are studied the most because they're, they have the easiest time to get into flow because, you know, a life threatening situation is pretty much the biggest flow trigger there is. Hmm. And uh, so next to the heart chargers are the deep thinkers. These I would call the engineers in their back rooms, taking things apart, looking at systems, putting them back together. You know, a lot of people in our industry work that way where uh, they really get into a flow state when they have no deadlines, no time limits, and they can get, just get lost in some system and they don't need any other social input or feedback from, from other people. They just focus on the system. These are the deep thinkers. Then there are the flow goers. These are the classic yogis. I, you know, um, describe them or the stereotypical flow goer is, let's say the girl that uh, goes to a vegan cafe reads then does some yoga and uh really by like expressing herself mentally and physically she gets into that flow state and uh these are the flow goers and the last ones are the crowd pleasers these are the let's say burning man people that dance off their their um whatever they're on at that moment, maybe, or, uh, you know, just enjoying the music and dancing uh, with other people. So they need to be in a crowd in order to really let go. Otherwise, oftentimes they feel not safe or uh, anxious when they're by themselves. So they need uh, other people in order to, to get them over the hump to go there. So if you know what type you tend to, and a lot of people are in between some, some types, we actually did a little survey with our uh, followers and our readers on Flowgrade, and we figured that most people were in between the hard chargers and the deep thinkers somewhere. So they, uh, by reading a book, let's say they would get into the flow step, but they also would like to and then go wild water rafting. And uh, and I, I was surprised there weren't that many crop pleasers and there weren't that many uh, flow goers as I'd imagined. So. That was definitely, but this is not super representative, but still a couple, you know, hundred people. Uh, so that was interesting. And once you know that, so what we've also done with Flowgrade is we figured out and then we've created uh, triggers or, well, there are 17 known triggers to flow. And I'm not going to go into all of them right now, but there are psychological triggers, there's social triggers, the environmental triggers, and there's one creative trigger. And where your, your brain just notices a pattern and then you dive in. And the environmental triggers, let's maybe focus on them because they're the strongest. One I've already mentioned, which is a high-risk environment. Uh, and uh, another one is a very detailed 
an, an environment like with a lot of different information that is coming to your senses. So, you know, we have the five senses, but in addition to that, we also have our sense of balance and uh, our sense of where our limbs are in space. I'm actually lacking right now the word in English, but what that sense is called. Can you help out? <laughs> oh, is, you know, some kind of spatial navigation or you mean that? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, now <laughs> I'd be ridiculed. I can be ridiculed if it's the same word in German. But I just can't think of it right now. Uh, anyway, so you have these different senses that are active and that, uh, you know, you have the wind on your face and you have, let's say, the snow underneath your board and uh, the temperature and, and, and your sense of balance and so on. And th this is a great flow trigger as well. And this is another reason why extreme athletes have such an easy time of diving into that flow state. And uh, when I asked Stephen Kotler actually about that, I said, how can you as a normal person create more flow? Because until recently, it was fairly exclusive to people in either extreme environments or that were predisposed, uh, predisposed to, to get into flow or athletes in general. Uh, but, you know, the normal, let's say, office worker also wants to have flow moments and they hardly get any. So uh, according to statistics, it's less than 30% of people that uh, experience flow in their daily lives. And uh, of them, it's only, I think, about 5% of time that they can spend in flow. And uh, now that we've hacked it, at least to a degree where we understand what's happening and what the flow triggers are, you as someone who is in an environment like that can create triggers around yourself to get more of that. Okay, and okay. Let's, let's jump into it in terms of uh, just office workers. I assume when you say that they don't get enough flow, what happens is that they get interrupted of their work, so they never get the chance to really concentrate enough and long period of time that they would sink into the job that someone is always asking them or the interruption, there is some kind of text message coming along, et cetera. Is that, is that what is happening to those people? Yeah, that's one thing. The other thing is that oftentimes they're not challenged enough. There's actually a challenge ratio. I, I still don't know how they come up with 4%, but according to the scientific study or the, the model that they always cite, is that when there's a skill that this, which is 4% more challenging than your actual skill level, then that is the ideal trigger for, for getting into flow. So it's not too hard that you get scared and, you know, don't function anymore and too stressed. And it's not too easy that you get bored. So somewhere in between, and actually most people in their daily lives, they're either bored or they're too stressed. So to find this, this sweet spot, where you perform at your best, where you get into flow, this is pretty hard and you need to be conscious of that. So you actually need to actively look for tasks and make them uh, or look for them in a certain difficulty that uh, will enable you to, to get them done quicker by getting into flow. So mm. that's, a, that's a great way of doing it. For, for like me, what you said, distraction. For me at least, thing. yeah. I mean, the distraction word that you just mentioned is, is very important. So decluttering the space. So if there is... A lot of crap on my tables. Uh, there is a lot of crap in my mind that is getting my attention constantly. So just like cleaning up things uh, often helps. And I, I just read uh, of uh, Ernst Hemingway, the writer, that what he did um, when he was writing, he actually, first and foremost, he actually did it in a standing pose. So 
he had a pile of books and on top of that he had his old good old singer or whatever and uh, typewriter and that's where he made most of his writing and he had a rule that when he's at the typewriter he's not answering the phone he's not eating he's not he's not doing anything else but writing so when he gets into that and i think today when we have all these electronic devices that have a lot of notifications and all kinds of stuff built in is very distracting to us that there is social functions to it and there is the entertainment part in addition to work so I, what i like to do is to dedicate my devices for different purposes so for example i could have a tablet designed only for entertainment so i watch video only on that one and i might have my phone as the only thing through which i do social interaction and then when i'm at my computer I'm actually immersing myself to the work that I should do and I block out things that I shouldn't be doing. So so that at least works for me. Um, do you have any uh, tricks that you personally use? Yeah, you know, this is this is great. Uh, carving out time for yourself where you're not distracted. I think this is one of the biggest uh, elements right now that people could fix right away uh, in order to get more flow. Oftentimes it's not possible though. And now I notice it, you know, and, and you probably know it as well as a entrepreneur who is now running a team, uh, you can't be the bottleneck. <laughs> and oftentimes when you're just shutting off for four hours, people need your advisor and they need a decision. So you really, unless you have created a system where they can really function without your input for four hours straight, let's say, uh, and, or between two and a half and, and four hours, I think that's where this, the flow time usually is optimized. Uh, then, then it's quite tough to do that. However, I still think um, I'm a big fan also of the Pomodoro technique. If I really struggle with too much input, so I'd at least take 25 minute blocks, I time them, and uh, then I work on, on on one task for 25 minutes straight. And I don't do anything else. And I shut everything off. So for 25 minutes, everyone can you know do what without me at least for four hours sometimes it's hard but that is that's a great technique uh focusing on one task flow follows focus this is hmm. just you can carve that in stone this is how it works you need to focus in order to have flow if you don't focus you won't get flow so multitasking is not something that will get you into flow in a, in a flow unless your focus is multitasking so um you need to Define one task that you're working on and then go work on it for at least 25 minutes at a time. Ideally, you have several blocks of that, but that, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. and another trick or hack that I've uh, came across that really works for me is I put on one song on endless loop and I listen to it and often it has no lyrics. For example, I really like Nuvole uh, Bianche from uh, Ludovico Einaudi and, and, or his playlist, something of, of that uh, genre. And I put it on and I have my, my big earphones on, my sound noise canceling earphones. And uh, I- That works for you. That really gets, that works for me. I, the I'm other, uh, if I can interrupt just, just to add on yeah, that sure. one, what I use is uh, binaural beats. Uh, so I have this tone, these different tones coming to my ears and the difference there is like 10 hertz or something that's associated with uh, the, te uh, the the increase of alpha alpha brainwaves. So, so my brain synchronized to that sound. And I, I think I remember reading some study that if you 
listen to music that is familiar to you so that there is nothing surprising. It's nothing that really catches your attention too much. There's no words or anything. Often that kind of type of music that is familiar to you or just like static white noise or these kind of ambient meditative tracks. Uh, it, it's it's sort of like, uh, or a melody that is not too catchy uh, uh, or, or a melody that is repetitive and um, uh, familiar to you. It's, it's easier to focus on whatever you look at and uh, that sort of just immerses you into that experience more easily. Um, so every time there is something novel going on, I just read about the sleep study where they, they noticed that uh, if people sleep in new environments, uh, they are sort of their brain is half awake all the time. It's evolutionary adaptation that if you are in an unfamiliar environment, you're more, I mean, I, I noticed this definitely when I travel, when I go to hotel rooms, I'm more easily awakened, uh, etc. And the first night and the second, third is often easier. So, so having yourself in a familiar environment with familiar soundscapes definitely works. Right. Totally agree. Yeah, this is, this is a great trigger. So this is one way, uh, I think I want, that's what I wanted to add to focus one thing that really works for me uh, as well is, and, and it also helps with sleep actually, because you get it off your mind, but writing down the night before your plan for the next day. So really deciding on a couple of tasks could be one between one and three that you really want to focus on. And uh, it just, it happens to me way too often that I don't do that. And then I wake up the next morning and then I'm saying, ah, I'm, already stressed because I don't know what to do and I first need to sit yeah. down and write everything down. You, you sort of wake so up when, in the same state as you went to sleep. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's why it really, really helps when you do your homework the night before, do your work. This is actually something that I noticed about flow in general. Uh, there are just, people are always looking for shortcuts. And right now we have this culture, and I talked with Jamie Wheel about that for my podcast. So we have this culture where people can light their candle, uh, their light fairly easily, fairly quickly. So, you know, transcendental experiences were, uh, well, they were, were, were really rare back in the day. And now it's, there's just a lot of people that go on, I don't know, ayahuasca trips and meditative retreats, burning man, you know, all these very extreme experiences that get them in an altered state. The altered state economy is a $4 trillion economy. There's a lot of people that shoot themselves sky high. And uh, I think some now, people watch Netflix for this reason. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, you know, you, you sort of get an idea of what, what other people do on Netflix, <laughs> yeah. on the documentary about Burning Man, maybe. But then that's probably also actually a way of just shutting off your brain because you're overwhelmed uh, to, to just succumb to Netflix, by the way. But anyways, I think that uh, people look for shortcuts though. And then once they rang the bell, once they were there and they had this transcendental altered state and they felt really great, you know, and they had all these neurotransmitter neurochemicals being released and, and this, uh, so which, which ones actually get released when you when you get into a flow state? So you usually in the beginning have norepinephrine and dopamine, which increase motivation and your alertness. And uh, 
that that's sort of when the fight or flight response happens. And what, what has to happen then in order for you to get into flow is that you release these stress hormones. So usually your body produces nitric oxide in order to flush them out. So th there was actually a theory that you could ingest nitric oxide, and, let's say in beet juice. And that's why the London Olympics were called the, the Olympics of purple poo, because a lot of athletes came <laughs> up with that idea that by ingesting nitric oxide, they would have, you know, a performance enhancement effect and uh, it was not on the doping list. And so everyone I think took there it then. Is, from beetroot, there is a cognitive enhancement. It's sort of like a nootropic actually when consumed. So, so maybe there is something, some, some truth to that one. I want to add one, one more thing for sort of the nutritional side of triggering yeah sure flow state so there is a few hormones that are associated with runners high so when you run after a certain period you get this sort of burst of uh excitement and euphoria and and you just feel like you could run forever and you sort of get almost into this running meditative state it takes some time after the struggle and you no longer feel pain you no longer feel fatigued you just continue and the two um uh, two compounds that are active in this state is uh, the other one is anandamid anandamid right. and the other one is uh, phenethylamine uh, and and pea phenethylamine and uh, what phenethylamine is it's uh, um in um it's actually an amphetamine produced in the in the body in, in the dopamine pathway, uh, there is small amounts of that produced uh, naturally. So, so it's you're basically high on on an amphetamine derivative in that state. And the other thing that is uh, the anandamid is actually a, um, a a cannabinoid produced in the body right. uh, uh, naturally, and you get small amounts of that one. And do you know what natural compound? has both phenethylamine and anandamide in it. But natural compound both both contain? Yeah, yeah, natural ingredient. It's, uh, I, I'll let you off the hook. It's chocolate. Yeah, let me off. Chocolate. So this is a chocolate ah, from, okay. from Goudia, this one. And um, so what chocolate has, the raw chocolate type, it has phenethylamine and it has anandamide in it. So anandamide is associated in chocolate also the sort of love and kind of euphoria that comes from it. And uh, the problem with these compounds is that they're not very bioavailable. So you need to actually shut, um, shut down some of the enzymes in the gut that break down those compounds. So if you want to make chocolate active, you have to have some kind of mayo inhibitor in it that basically makes sure that this uh, compound gets into the brain, cross the blood-brain barrier, and is not destroyed in the in the gut by enzymes. And uh, I did so. By the way, that's why at, uh, at the ayahuasca ceremonies, you always get this myo inhibitor in, exactly. in addition to the ayahuasca. Yeah, because DMT gets basically broken down without the mayo inhibitor. Now, you can use a mayo inhibitor with chocolate also. And one very mild, I think, mayo uh a or mayo B, I don't remember now exactly, uh, in inhibitor for that is cinnamon. So you may want to take like a one uh, teaspoon of cinnamon um, extract or something like this um, with a cup of coffee 
before you consume a piece of chocolate. And, and there is actually a, uh, a form of chocolate, which is an extract. I'm going to show it to you. Mm. This one, it's uh, chocamine. Oh, yeah. I've uh, used it actually with Yako. Yako sent me a little uh, yeah, little mix, sample, little blend. So chocamine is an extract of chocolate. So you get basically from one, uh, one gram, you get around the amount of polyphenols and the medicinal properties of chocolate that you have in one chocolate bar. So if you don't want to consume a full chocolate bar, taking a little bit of chocamine with a little bit of cinnamon extract in your coffee, you know, you have a perfect blend for triggering a flow state. And I've definitely seen that this is a great combination with the butter coffee. So you can use flow grade beans, you can use flow grade um, uh, MCT oil and mm. some cinnamon, uh, cacao and uh, chocamine. chocamine. Interesting. And there you are. I mean, you are you are in a flow state. It's, it's better than coffee alone. It's better than bulletproof coffee alone. It's better than chocolate alone. So this combination somehow really works. And cinnamon also has blood sugar balancing effects. And I've also noticed that what, what is also, also required, at least in my case, for flow state is steady blood uh, sugar level. So if it's too high or too low, it's very hard to concentrate. So you want to make sure that your blood, blood sugar levels are quite steady for which the fats are a great source. All right. uh, that's, that's very true. Also, in a fasting state, I think you're much more likely to use your energy for brain activities. So when you're, when you really want to get into a mental focused uh, flow state, sitting down, not moving, then I think the be your best bet is to fast or to have a very stable blood sugar, like what you said. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely true, but this is super interesting with the, but, uh, just to get it right, because, uh, the, the chocamine is not the Mao inhibitor. The, the that's the, the cinnamon. So yeah, the chocamine I, I, use, adds I use cinnamon for, for that. Uh, there is some some evidence that cinnamon can act as a mild uh, mayo inhibitor. Uh, there is others like, I think, blackcurrant juice and, and some other things that can also do this inhibition for you. So you may want to experiment a little bit with chocolate, but also rem uh, remember that some of these mayo inhibitors can be quite dangerous when combined with uh, the wrong compounds. So there's a reason why I have these enzymes that break, break down certain compounds. So, uh, so a good, good example is tyramine. tyramine, which is in cheese and so on. So if you have a little bit of blue cheese and you have a little bit of mayo inhibitors going on, you can get a pretty serious headache out of it. So, so be careful with it. Okay. And by the way, why, why do you, don't you use, let's say, cacao, straight cacao powder and, and choke, what's the benefit of using chocomine? Because I don't really think, I don't really like the taste of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, the reason why I do it that way is that I don't have to eat that much chocolate because to get the sort of therapeutic dose of uh, both PEA and anandamide, you have to have quite a high dose and also for the theobromine to do its, do its work. So I found that this extract is quite good for it. And uh, But in the, in the end, I, I just, if I take one of these Goodyear chocolate bars, I'm going to be all over it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just eat several of them and that's already doing its job. But uh, yeah, there is, there is some ways to bring in the compounds in the body that are usually produced by running for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, 
if you don't want to run for 20 minutes, you might as well have some chocolate. So here you go. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there are ways of, of, uh, of helping with triggering the flow state, but I still think that sort of you need to prepare to, to be in a flow state and there I'm also, I'm almost jumping into the philosophical aspect of the flow state, which is what you're going to do once you're in it. You know, are you using it correctly? Because mm. you could just, I don't know, dance it off or use it, I don't know, to play poker or computer game or whatever, or you could use it to do your project and have the time, learn a new language and, or spend more time with your family because you get everything done quicker. Uh, and it does I don't judge here. There's no, I don't really like, say that this the one thing is is wrong and the other is right and probably it's some sort of balance because i also like to go dancing and you know all night long once in a while uh and uh still i think thinking about your intention of how to use it when you want to trigger it that's very important especially when there are powerful shortcuts to do that because yeah that's the addictive power of flow whatever is very powerful can be very dangerous and this is where where flow can really become quickly an addiction and if you have an easy way of triggering it and you don't think about what, what you really want to do with it then you just get lost in it that's extremely good advice uh, so if we think of eight hours a day there is a saying that basically you, you you are not really productive for eight hours in a working day but maybe one or two hours so figuring out wh which one of the hours in the day are the the times when you have the greatest likelihood of getting into the flow state and doing most of your work. So the, the saying that 20% of work results in 80% of uh, results. So triggering flow state for those hours and making sure that you don't get distracted and, and you can basically focus on something that you, you've been trying to attack as a problem or as a, as a thing to just to get done, which is... Uh, on the sort of uh, uh, boundary of your skill sets uh, so that you can actually like really be in flow when you do it and it's motivating to do so I, I think everyone should be very conscious about that and not have a meeting on on top of something like that or uh, as a window so I think there is some kind of at, at least for me the way how my circadian rhythm works there is specific times of the day when I'm most productive one of them is in the afternoon and the other one is after 12 o'clock in the evening so if i just stay awake uh beyond 11 o'clock usually i i get this burst of uh just focused attention uh which is extremely helpful for getting stuff done with the expense of not necessarily uh, getting to sleep with uh, when i'm supposed to but well some of some people are night owls and uh, i'm one of them Right. And at the end, you know, I think we're also, uh, in addition to the creatures, creatures of habit, and this is my advice pretty much to everyone is that uh, we all have good and bad days and this is completely normal, but you, you work in the long game and try to develop yourself, create yourself into a person where you have many, many, many of these flow states uh, and you can get lost in them and you pretty much have them every day so when i talk about many you don't have to be in them all the time but then what you said uh find a small window uh where you can be easily triggered to be in a flow state 
and uh, perform or enjoy or dance it off, whatever you want. Uh, but I think you need to have the, to, yeah, like to find yourself, but also create habits that work. And this takes time. This takes years sometimes. So you can always chip away a couple of bad habits and include a couple more healthy habits and switch them around and change. And at some point you'll find a sweet spot that works for a while, but we're also, you know, developing for, for a time, but there are some habits that will stick with you for the long run mm. and they will just help you with making everything easier to, you know, perform, get in the flow state, be happy, be satisfied. And uh, for me and for you, we, we, we are in the industry. So we have, you're confronted with a lot of hacks and something that sticks, you know, stuck for me is writing down three things that I'm thankful for, practicing some gratitude, practicing some focus, uh, taking a cold shower, like very simple things that are known, but they became habits and they became long-term habits. Like I'm doing them every day. Hmm. And uh, that's, I think where for me, it really became clear. We are creatures of habit. When I make myself into a creature with good habits, I'm much more likely to perform, be happy, have good people in my life, make good choices. Beautiful. I think, Max, that is a beautiful way to end. Uh, uh, I, I think you just gave the the tips to everyone on how they can trigger flow state and, and be happy, happy uh, executing things that they really love in their lives. Is there anything else uh, you want to add? And uh, if people want to know more about Flowgrade and about you, where should they go? Well, they can go on flowgrade.com and uh, check out my work and my podcasts on there and my uh, blog. And uh, yeah, I'd love uh, always, I welcome new subscribers to our podcast as well. Flowgrade show, Temu, you've been on there. And you will be on there in the future. And uh, yeah, that's all you need to know about me. Yeah, so check it out, flowgrade.com. Uh, what I also want to mention is that if you enjoy what Max is telling you here, we he was just a speaker at Biohacker Summit UK in London, 21st of May. He gave a presentation on the flow. We also had Dr. Jack Cruz, uh, Ruben Salinas uh, talking about light and magnetism and water and the fundamentals of life. We had Ben Greenfield sharing his hacks, many of them also about, you know, getting yourself into this high-performing state. And we have all the video recordings available at uh, biohackingbook.com slash um, uh, something like summit uh, dash special slash. I'm going to put these things into the show notes <laughs> for anyone who wants to take a look. So, so you can, you can see Max presentation dressed like 11 plus hours of, of great material. So check it out as well as also his Q and a one hour, uh, with people on the flow state. So thank you. Check very it much out. Max. It was really, it was such yeah. a great event. Uh, and I really enjoyed it got, uh, for everyone. Hey, you've got to listen to some of those talks, especially if I can just, if you can listen to one, which I would recommend to everyone is, uh, I think that, uh, well, everyone was great, but I think Ben Greenfield g gave 10 hacks and I've listened to the one again in, in the Paleo FX. I think for someone, a beginner uh, among you guys, uh, start with that one and you'll listen to all of them anyways. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, cool. And I'm sure Max is going to throw in a promotion on some coffee because I have to say one thing about flow grade coffee. It is amazing and it is lab tested 
and the lab test results are available and it's compared to some of the more well-known brands out there and it's great stuff so so you may want to check flowgrade.com and order yourself uh, a little bit of uh, high quality beans when german yeah, by, by the way when german engineering meets coffee you can only have good results Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, we also, we just got the results back of, from the last batch and the, the toxin levels were really, really low. Yeah. They were very they lower were than everyone else. So that was really good. Good to know. Cool. All right. Thank you, Max. And uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, Theo. All right. Bye-bye. Over and out.